today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Listen now for the word of the Lord. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The word of the Lord. When I was a kid growing up in Southern California, one of the most magical places I would visit was not Disneyland. Uh, but this broad hiking trail called the Top of the World. Now, it was only a little over a thousand feet above sea level, but like as a kid, you say a thousand feet, like it might as well be a million, like, ah, yeah. Uh, But really, it, it was pretty awesome to like look down that far and that wide. Uh, but what made the Top of the World so magical wasn't the height, it was the age. You see, around 10 million years ago, the coastline of California was over a thousand feet higher than it was today, right where the top of the world is. And so there was this massive amount of ancient sea life that got fossilized in this region. And, and so today you could now literally walk over the fossils that were embedded below you. And when I walk there as a kid, Beneath my feet, it felt as if millions of years of ancient stones were crying out. In our primary reading today for Palm Sunday, we find that Jesus is entering the ancient city of Jerusalem to cheers of a massive crowd. Palm Sunday begins what Christians call Holy Week, Jesus' final days that will culminate in his arrest trial, execution, and burial that will send his disciples into hiding. Now, each one of the four gospel accounts includes this triumphant parade of Jesus. Each one often records very similar details, too. For example, that Jesus rode into town either on a colt or a donkey, uh, which could actually be the same thing if the colt was young enough. The point of this is that Jesus was fulfilling an ancient Jewish prophecy from Zechariah about the Messiah, the promised king, who would ride into town not on a powerful war horse, but on a humble 
workhorse. However, each gospel account also shares their own unique details and omissions. For example, despite the title of this being Palm Sunday today, you may notice that Luke doesn't mention anything about palms being waved. Why? Well, because Luke is writing to a very Roman audience, some scholars suggest even a Roman magistrate, and the militaristic nature of palm branches in this context essentially meant, let's kill some Romans. And as you might suppose, that's not imagery you want to lead with, and so Luke strategically omits this detail so as to not unnecessarily alarm his Roman readership. But Luke also includes a scene near the beginning of the parade before it arrives into town that is recorded by no other gospel writer. The disciples of Jesus, which have now grown to a group far larger than just 12, say something that deeply upsets the religious leaders that are watching the procession. Let's look together at verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now granted. The Pharisees do have a reputation for being religious snowflakes who get triggered by just about almost everything Jesus and his disciples say or do. But I think this episode is interesting in that for at least these particular religious leaders, they actually think Jesus will agree with them. Because typically, if you see most previous exchanges, when the Pharisees get upset by the disciples, it's, excuse me, Jesus, why do you allow your disciples to do that? But this one has an unusual twist. Here the Pharisees get offended by the disciples, and now it's, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. Parents, I think you might get this. You know, your kid's saying some really weird stuff in public, like, you know, just giving a, a monologue about bodily functions. And, and it doesn't matter, like, if it's your kid, like, you, you are just grateful for any adult in the room to, to get them to stop talking. Certainly, Jesus, you don't want your disciples saying this stuff. So what are they saying that's so bad? The disciples in the crowd are chanting from Psalm 118. This was our call to worship this morning. Now, Psalm 118 is full of this beautiful, powerful imagery, and scholars aren't sure if Jews at this time thought Psalm 118 was a messianic psalm, that, that is, foretelling what God's Savior to the Jewish people would look like. But at least in this instant, Jesus' disciples certainly thought that Jesus fit the description and so when they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they are calling Jesus a divine king sent by Yahweh God. And that's when the Pharisees get really nervous. Because once you start saying you're a king and a king from God, 
It is only a matter of time before Roman troops start killing people to make sure King Herod stays on the throne, Governor Pilate keeps the taxes flowing, and Caesar remains worshipped as divine. In Luke's gospel, Palm Sunday is a tipping point. Because up until this point in the narrative, Jesus has been called a lot of things, teacher, master, Lord, even son of David, as in King David. But even though that title was honorific, it was kingly in nature, it was not explicit kingship. Jesus has never been called a king until now. Because even the parade, the cult, the, the putting your cloaks in the road as a sign of honor, that could all have some plausible deniability that comes with it. Oh, hey, we were just honoring a prophet. But now, it's as if the disciples are saying the quiet part out loud. And the Pharisees are like, Jesus Rebuke your disciples before they get us all killed. What is with you? Do you have a death wish or something? Well, in fact, yes. <laughs> but that's for a few days later. So what does Jesus say? Verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What does this mean? Jesus doesn't elaborate. Luke ends the scene here and moves on to a new action sequence. And remember, Luke is the only gospel writer to record this statement. So how can we know what Jesus is getting at? It seems kind of important. Well, this morning I want to offer you three explanations of this response by Jesus. The wrong explanation, the scholarly explanation, and the gospel explanation so first, the wrong explanation. Y'all, I, I, I hesitated to even touch on this one because, well, it's wrong. Uh, plus, I was kind of thinking, ah, man, I don't think anyone would even have heard this before. But in our sermon creation Bible study, that, that the community group that helps us ask questions about the scripture each week, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we've heard this before. If not in Luke 19, maybe similar places like Romans 1. And so what is this explanation? That this reference to stones crying out is supposed to reinforce the belief that God made a natural order of things for people to obey and God made nature. And so should we violate God's natural order, nature itself will cry out against us. And this gets used particularly to reinforce a lot of social binaries and hierarchies. You have some gender-fluid identity? Mm, against God's natural order. Same-sex marriage? Oh, against God's natural order. Uh, women as equals to men? Against God's natural order. This has also been used to justify racial segregation and even slavery as part of God's natural order and that we should not violate what God has established. Oops. So no, this is not what Jesus is referring to at all. 
Yes, Christians have some, found some mileage in adopting the pagan Greek philosophy of natural law in order to help prove the existence of God, but natural law is not great for pointing to what God is like, much less how God exactly wants us to live our lives. Christian theology does not base its ethics off cherry-picking the moral order we think we observe in nature. We base our ethics off faithfully following the moral example we observe in Jesus. So, that's the wrong explanation. What's the right one? Well, hold up, it's not that simple. Here's the scholarly explanation. A lot of biblical scholars will say that Jesus is referencing the Jewish prophet Habakkuk, who in Habakkuk 2, 10 and 11 says this to a wicked, oppressive nation. He says, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Basically, in this explanation, the stones here are a witness to violence. They will speak because the victims can't. And as a result, Habakkuk basically goes on to say, because of your violence, you too will be utterly destroyed. Now, I do think there are some good reasons why this is what Jesus is potentially referring to. One, because the Greek word to cry out here, the root is krazo, it's almost always used in a negative context. These stones are not happy stones. The second reason is because bracketing the parade at Palm Sunday is a story first about Jesus pronouncing terrible judgment on the religious establishment and then a story about Jesus grieving the future destruction of Jerusalem that will happen 40 years later in a failed violent revolt. What happened to the oppressive regimes of Habakkuk's day will happen to Jerusalem. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with that explanation. In fact, it may be what the narrator Luke really wants to highlight, that God deeply grieves our cycles of faithlessness and corruption and violence. But I don't think that's the only explanation. I don't think that's the final word here. Why? Because Jesus says he has come to preach the gospel, the good news. That there is good news even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of injustice, even in the midst of judgment, there is good news. And certainly, Jesus is capable of crafting a single sentence with multiple references. Jesus is not limited by only one reference per statement. And so when Jesus says, if my disciples are silent, even the stones will cry out, here's what I think Jesus is also referencing. Jesus is referencing the prophet he references more than any other The prophet he quoted to inaugurate his ministry with. That prophet is Isaiah. And I think Jesus is referencing Isaiah 55, 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. 
Why beyond Jesus' love of Isaiah and the personification of nature in this passage, why do I think Jesus is speaking to this? One, because Isaiah here is imagining a parade, a procession, much like the one Jesus is in as he is speaking. And two, because of the line right before it in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for that which I sent it. As this Holy Week begins, Jesus, the Word of God, sent from God, is initiating a series of events in Jerusalem that will end in his death. And for three days, it will look as if the Word of God has failed, that it's returned empty, that by the murder of Jesus, it was silenced. But God the Son shall succeed in the thing for which the God the Father has sent him. Salvation, deliverance, rescue from sin, death, and evil from the endless cycle of human faithlessness and corruption and violence. Resurrection is coming and nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it from happening. Nothing can stop it from being proclaimed. Even if Jesus' own disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. For God is going to redeem nature and the cosmos itself. Jesus truly is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and he will bring peace not only in heaven but on earth. Glory not only in the highest but to the lowest and the trees of the field will clap their hands in celebration. So what do I do with this then? How do I make sense of this big cosmic truth just for my life? Is that God is very much aware of our pain. That God is aware of my tragedies and what feels like needless suffering, of bad diagnoses and, and tumors that don't seem to respond to treatment, of little kids. little kids being shot in Presbyterian schools. And politicians who do nothing to stop it. God is aware. God grieves. Jesus was aware of what would happen in Jerusalem. And Jesus grieved. But Jesus as God in the flesh could somehow hold the tension between tragedy and hope, between grief and good news. The stones could cry out both for the inevitable violence brought by people and cry out for the inevitable peace brought by Jesus. 
And if Jesus can hold that tension, if the stones can hold that tension, I want to invite you this morning to hold that tension as well. Hold it in your heart. No easy answers. Resist the temptation to sentimentalism for the happy cliches. But also resist the temptation to cynicism where you can't see any hope. Hold the tension. And if we can do that, here's how I help. I think it will help when I feel discouraged about the state of my life or the state of the world. The tension means I don't give up. I don't stop trying. I don't stop fighting for a better world because Jesus intends his disciples to be the first to share and be good news. God intends for you to be God's shalom, God's peace and justice and healing in the world. The stones are only God's plan B if plan A, us, people, come up short. But the tension also means I can rest. I can rest knowing that it's not all on me or modern science or a politician or one group or person. If plan A fails, not all hope is lost. I can rest in the knowledge that God does and will implement a plan B. Either way, there's good news. Either way, God's word will not return empty. God's purposes will be accomplished. Even if the stones must cry out. Even if it costs God's very life. God shall succeed. For God's glory. And our good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
so beautiful. I believe we have a lovely new guest singer that is from our college ministry program. What's your name? Emma. Emma, you have a beautiful voice. Thank you for sharing it with us. All right, Colin, is it a little odd that Jesus rode in on a baby donkey instead of a horse? Didn't only women and children ride donkeys? Yeah, that's a weird part. Uh, I mean, there's a prophetic element to it, but this is also kind of uh, Jesus not uh, doing the proper masculine expectations. Jesus is not being man enough here, right? And this would have been a criticism of like, hey, uh, only men are supposed to do the horses, women ride this. Jesus is not being properly masculine. Uh, so there's some interesting commentary you can, you can play with that. But yes, that is a, a very uh, uh, important uh, note. All right, this is a long one, but okay. it's good. Luke 19.38 includes that blessed is the king. However, Psalms 118 and other gospel accounts leave out the word king. Do you think Luke is intentionally adding words to his quotation of the Psalms, or do you think he had a version of Psalms that may have had that in there? That's a really great nerdy question, whoever asked that. Um, So it's one of two things, and I didn't get a chance to check this. It could be because the author of Luke is pulling from the Septuagint, which is a Greek version of the Old Testament, that it's going to have, the Septuagint is not as, uh, accurate as some of the older texts, which is what we usually base our Old Testament Bible off of. Um, so it may have had that in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. However, I think the primary reason is not that actually Luke put that in, is that the disciples put that in. But the disciples are reading the situation and going, we're good Jewish boys. We know this song about King David and what, and what God is doing. And we are going to apply that directly to Jesus because we are profoundly seeing, like they're saying something that they know is going to get them in big trouble because they believe it's actually happening in, in Jesus. And so I think that's why Luke pulls from it because the disciples actually recognized it first. All right. Another super theologically nerdy question. If Jesus is the Lamb of God and Mary is the mother of Christ, is it fair to say that Mary had a little lamb? <laughs> Thank you, Sydney, for texting that one in. That, that, that's, that's deep. And we're going to go, I'm just going to go, yeah, sure, sure. I'm so proud of myself for saying that with a straight face. Yeah, but there are a lot of really excellent and super theological questions that have been texted in. Thank you all for making my job super easy. And Colin will address them on Facebook tomorrow. So make sure you're following us also because Facebook is where we do any announcements. So if like we have to exactly and, yeah, if no. we have to call an audible for Easter next week, you want to be checking your Facebook. That is where the announcements uh, will be made. Cool. Thank you, Sam.